Um, sometimes folks are very quick to almost over control things within their organization versus spending the time up front to determine is, is what we're trying to do even subject to the regulations, right? And uh, make sure to, to do that homework first before you go down this, this bunny hole. Welcome to Simply Trade, brought to you by Global Training Center. My name is Lalo, and together with my co-host, Andy, we have well over 60 years of combined trade, logistics, and supply chain experience. Along the way, we have seen and witnessed different challenges in trade compliance. We decided to put the show together and call on our friends and colleagues in the business to hang out with us and share their knowledge in all things trade. Thank you for spending some time with us. Enjoy the show. Today... We're going to be talking about uh, some OFAC, ITAR, EAR. I always look at it and go M O U S E. You know, it's like all kinds of you know <laughs> the <laughs> alphabet yeah, soup. The, the alphabet soup. Yeah. 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 All right. So uh, on today's uh, program, there's going to be a lot of acronyms used. Uh, case in point, OFAC a lot, ITAR, uh, EAR. And you will probably need to look at those if you have, if you're not familiar with what those are, uh, and you're trying to learn on that, you'll have to look at it. And I always have to, it's like, I use it so often that I couldn't remember exactly what it was. So obviously, um, ITAR international traffic and arms regulations, uh, OFAC is what office of, uh, foreign asset office of foreign assets controls mm -hmm. controls. Thank you. Mm -hmm. and, and EAR and the, uh, export export um, administration regulations uh, and don't call it don't call it ear either right yeah no uh, export <laughs> administration regulations right regulations. it's under the the uh, um, bis uh, bureau of industry uh, and security <laughs> so bis is bureau of industry and security and security right okay Okay. Well, we, the good that, news, Andy, is that we don't even need to remember any of that because we've got an expert here that's going to actually help us with all that, and uh, that that'd be Jennifer Sake, and I've known her for a few years now, and uh, so we'll we'll get her on here, and uh, we'll have her sort through all this for us. And uh, she works for she has her own company, uh, Treliance, and um, I know that's her specialty is this export controls and anything involved in that. So that that's the good news is that we don't need to remember any of all this stuff. We talk about where to find the resources if you need uh, some expertise in the export uh, realm and, and on licenses and OFAC and ITAR and EAR and all these different things. So I'm looking forward to this. Folks, uh, we're going to get started here right away with this. Yep. Let's bring her on. Thanks. All right, Jennifer, let me ask you a question. And what I've found is to become proficient at the different regulations and areas uh, that uh, we're talking about here, especially OFAC, it's really as you come across an issue and you have to start researching it because it's not a case like, okay, I'm going to become an OFAC ex expert. And you start reading mm -hmm. whatever. It's, it's more of you come across a situation, you start researching it, and you obviously are, are learning as you go in that, but you become more proficient as more more situations come up, right. I believe, right? And each 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 set of regulations per country, right, is is right. written so differently, right? And so you may 
you may know the Iran sanctions like the back of your hand, but switch out the country and the framework is different, the way right. it's written, right? I mean, the, the actual content of the words is shockingly different, right? Um, because there's different groups of people working on that internally, right, within OFAC. So it's um, th that part can surprise, you know, the... Right. The individual who's first looking, you know, first really combing through those regulations, right? You can't always translate even something you know, right, to, to another country. Well, and the thing is, we're getting into this. I'm, I'm really interested on how the compliance side of things can keep the executive levels informed, but more specifically, what are the things that the the executives are not going to learn all these this detail that's what the logistics and uh, compliance and those kinds of things need to be right. getting up to speed with but what is it that you, from your perspective that the executive levels what are the questions they should be looking for what should they be receiving from your perspective on you know, here's the type of uh, report I should be getting and, and having it translated into simple terms that they can understand. Mm -hmm. I really think that there's almost this uh, foundational framework you have to have in terms of that relationship and support, right, from the Excellent. executive level yeah. to build that up, right, mm -hmm. <laughs> and have that, have that established relationship and that sort of public meaning within the company kind of broadly acknowledged fact from the executives that this is important, mm -hmm. right? Compliance to all these regulations, these trade regulations is, is important to us as a company. And then there's, when, when it gets remotely into the nitty gritty, you know, that's, that's not necessarily even something that should, that should float up regularly to the executives, right? It's, right. it's uh, the most important thing is that flow down. Mm -hmm. And then, then you have to figure out, you know, that right level of management, right, mm -hmm. that has to be engaged to actually operationalize yeah. your processes. Right. Right. Um, but I think even then, the, the caution is make sure what you what you float up, make sure it's very concise and very, very practical, right? Mm -hmm. What do I need to know? What has changed? What do I need to know? What, what, what do I need to change in my day-to-day, -day, right? right? Or what do I need to be aware of in my day-to-day? -day? And to, as much as possible, to remove it from any regulatory, regulatory citation, you know, any references to the actual regulations, I think just deters people from taking any action because it immediately feels overwhelming. You know, so I think once you establish as a company, the leadership is established, this is important. Mm -hmm. And then the follow on to the people in the day to day operations is, okay, here's what you need to do, right? Yes, this has changed, right? A very high level of this has changed in the regulations or this is happening, therefore you have to do X, Y, Z, right? And keep it focused on that X, Y, Z. Right. Um, I, th I think that that approach in general is it's more of like a philosophy almost, right? Is okay. leads to better success in terms of compliance. Okay. Well, Jennifer, let me ask you this then, is that in looking at this, you, you, I think you've hit on something very, very uh, strongly. It's like you got to build the foundation. Obviously, anything in that foundation is going to be obviously a, a compliance area that's, um, you know, proficient in your basic uh, regulations. But in that, and as they build up, there should be some expertise developed in some of that. And then obviously translating, 
you know, the complex, this one thing that I always say is you got to be able to, this is to the compliance folks. You've got to mm -hmm. come uh, translate the, the complexity uh, and the confusion, if you will, or complexity of the regulations into terms that people can relate to. Uh, you can't go in right. quoting, uh, you know, just regulations and see here you go. It's like, you know, the cause and effect type of thing is like, okay, I get it. This is going to be a big risk. This is potential liabilities. This is whatever the case may be. But uh, Right, right. Okay. Yeah, definitely boiling it down to actionable things mm -hmm. that people can operationalize, right, and, mm -hmm. and adjust their SOP, adjust their process, right, mm -hmm. in a certain department, for example, right, and, and truly make it actionable so it's, it, it, so it's directly related to their day-to-day their -day job. Right, mm -hmm. and then so where let's say that a company has a strong department in there and and whatnot, um, you're taking over the area now, and let's say there's not been a focus on the OFAC. Um, what would you do when you come in for? Uh, I mean, what are, what are we looking at as the type of transactions that would be governed under OFAC? Yeah, yeah, the the. When I, I always think it's important that if an organization has never had to really think about or hasn't historically thought about either the OFAC regulations or the EAR or the ITAR, mm -hmm. right? Their, their focus has been elsewhere and maybe one of those three, but not all three, right? right? The first thing is to really understand the, the overall structure of those regulations, right? There's a framework there that the OFAC, of how the OFAC regulations are built out, right? That's different than how the EAR is written out and how the ITAR is written out, right? So for OFAC, a key distinction that is surprising to a lot of folks that I talk to when I'm telling them about the OFAC regulations, you know, as a kind of initial, um, you know, kind of introduction to it, is that the, 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 it's very country specific for one, right? So the Iran sanctions are gonna be different than those for Venezuela, for example, right? And truly country specific so don't don't translate anything right really think about it by country and then also understand that the construct of the regulations is different when it comes to this idea of licensing and authorization mm -hmm. it's the wording and, and their approach is maybe slightly unfortunate in that it's almost designed to confuse the confuse the user right so in <laughs> the conceptually for the ear and for the itar licensing right mm -hmm. is the one of the key avenues by which you gain right. authorization you gain that approval from that agency to go do what the transaction you want to do right um, but for OFAC the structure is there's general licenses and there are specific licenses mm -hmm. and the fact that they use the word license in both of those can get confusing for for the the person who's new to those regulations. Um, so I think that's a really important structure to understand in that the, the specific license is really when you are asking OFAC for approval for this specific transaction. And those are the things that you have to get their, their blessing on, right? And they can turn down your application and say, you know, say no. The general license is the construct for how OFAC has designed a way that um, essentially is a pre-approval, right? To say, okay, these are all the things you can do under this one general license, right? If you meet these certain conditions, 
and you're doing this certain type of transaction and they'll spell all that out in the general license, then you can go do that thing, that activity, without getting our, pre, uh, without getting our approval because it's essentially a, a pre-approval by OFAC. So that really throws a lot of people off, this idea that, well, it's called a general license, but I don't need to ask anyone if I can use this, right? No, this is, so it's really an internal assessment, right, that, that needs to be done by the organization um, to understand, okay, your exact transaction, are you meeting the terms of what the general license says? And any one set of sanctions can have, for any one country, right, could have, I don't you could have anywhere from a handful of general licenses through upwards of, you know, double digits, right? right. And each one is very specific to a certain type of transaction. Um, so that's a, that's a key distinction. Um, I think it's important to understand if you're new to the, you know, the OFAC world. Hey, folks, we're going to be in uh, Dallas, Texas, at ICPA uh, conference, the fall conference, on October 16th. That's the Simply Trade podcast crew. Come by, shake our hand, let's uh, introduce ourselves to each other, and hopefully we'll make a new friend. Come by and see us. Where you're going with that, where I have seen people, I guess, or companies um, maybe go awry, is that there be a general license there, and an individual will look at it and go, yeah, I can do this. I've got a license mm -hmm. for it. And so they mm -hmm. make a decision themselves, like one individual, versus the best way to administer something like that is before you go forward, would it not be wise to have some kind of a, I'll call it a committee, a group, uh, an advisory group that, okay, we've got this product and you have the appropriate expertise represented in different mm -hmm. areas it doesn't have to be a long bureaucratic process, but it's like, okay, right. I wanted to take this product, I have this license, and this is where I'm going. Does anybody see any issue with it? Or I want to follow through with this international transaction. <clears throat> Does anybody see a problem with it? And it covers them. Would that not be a, a wise move to make? Yeah, 100% agree with you there. Is Trade compliance is so much in... Um, uh, not a solo job, right? It is, it, you, yes, you, you know, individual might be the only export compliance, import compliance, you know, whatever the title is, right? right. Individual officially with that, with that role, but you're really not ever doing it in isolation um, because the, having that leadership support, whether it's your one over one manager or, or broader set of folks, right? But having, having that support and alignment on these key decisions, right? When, when you're deciding, yep, no, we, we can use this general license, for example, right? We, can, um, we have everything we need to go forward with this commercial transaction because all, we have all our ducks in a row, right? There's, there are so many potential pitfalls to things, right? And interpretations sometimes where it's not so black and white and having multiple minds on it is always a, a great idea. And then furthermore, the cross-functional nature of the work is such that you want your supply chain expert involved, right? Or you, right. you, you might need your sales, you know, someone from sales or from manufacturing and from, I mean, engineering, right? A variety, it really depends on the nature of the transaction. Um, so in addition to having 
that leadership engagement on some of these key decisions, um, whether it be the leader of a compliance organization or someone even above that, right, is having representation and alignment from all these other parties and stakeholders is is really key because ultimately nobody wants to see that endeavor right fall through. Like, well, with an advisor group like that, it, it it exposes people to the question to the issues surrounding right. that particular transaction and actually it's it would probably hopefully expand their their view on it so you i interrupted you there uh you had the second where the, uh, i'm assuming you go from a general license now you were about to go into a specific license right right so then that th that other side of, of ofac right is then there are cases where none of those existing published general licenses mm -hmm. fit what you want to do as a company, right, or as an organization, you then would need to apply for a specific license. And OFAC has its own IT portal separate from everyone else's, right? And um, to submit that, what's, what's interesting and different about OFAC's IT system versus under BIS for the EAR or DDTC for ITAR, right? OFAC's IT system if you've never done an application, you would be surprised when you first go in that it's really a bunch of open fields. <laughs> they give you a you know very wide template to just basically explain what do you want to do. You tell us precisely what you are asking for permission for, right. and then we will tell you very succinctly. Yes, you have permission to do what you have described, right? <laughs> If they give you approval, that's what that's what you get, right? In in return, so the onus on the the exporter, right, or the the, the owner onus on the company, the the organization who wants to do this transaction is huge because you need to really get it right. If you did not fully describe what it is you're doing, and OFAC says yes, you can do it, but then later you're actually doing a few other things that you didn't actually tell OFAC, right? that can be an issue, right? And you might, and it's a worst case because you might think you have things covered from a compliance standpoint when actually there's this gap. Um, so so it's, too, um, as you're going it's not through, as structured. Right, well, and as you're going through that process, obviously it would be uh, very wise, again, to uh, in, get some experts in this as they're going through. So where, if I'm Andy Shiles Incorporated, and I'm looking at uh, trying to do some transactions here internationally that uh, I believe would fall under the OFAC and, and I want to protect myself and I have a license for a dual use uh, aerospace item. Um, with that, where, where are the experts? If I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I have a good opportunity here. It's, it's a business opportunity it has just flourished now I need to, you know, follow through with the transaction, but I want to make sure I cross the T's and dot the I's. Where do I go to get that kind right. of expertise? Well, there's, there's a lot of options. Um, one key thing to keep in mind is give yourself a very long runway. Yeah. I've seen OFAC license applications where years go by and there is no oh. response from OFAC, right? Despite multiple follow-ups, you know, despite comprehensive information, Literally, just the department does not respond, right? And and that doesn't always happen, but it's it's not that uncommon for it to take many many months, if not you know over a year. 
So when you keep keep that in mind in terms of how this these compliance needs interweave into your operations, um, the piece about where do you get some help, right, is it's really widespread and it really depends on what type of it really depends on your organization, right? What's your bandwidth in terms of working with the other party? You know, how much of the lifting do you want to do internally versus are you looking to just hand off as much as possible? Right. Um, do you have a more conservative culture, you know, or are you, does your company culture allow a little more risk taking, right? And those are factors that can play in. Um, some organizations, the compliance team is driven by the legal department, right? And right. oftentimes those attorneys like to work with outside counsel, right? Versus a consultant. So there's many organizational cultural things that you need to factor in. So there's no one right answer on who to go to because there are a lot of experts out there, right? right. Um, some, some folks like to work with smaller organizations. Like we are a smaller organization and we tend to support small and medium-sized organizations, right? And so right. Um, you have to be able to have that transparency and really good working relationship. But there, there are, it's plentiful at the moment, right? In terms of resources and, you, and it's important to find the right one that you can establish a good rapport with. Um, so w whether it be uh, looking through your, you know, the professional societies, right? You mentioned uh, a conference earlier Right that, you, right, that you're both attending, right? It can be through those avenues. Um, but really, I would say that the international trade compliance community as a whole, I find is very, um, very open, mm -hmm. right? I think in general, the people in this space are very willing to point you to a, point you to a resource, point you to a different direction if something isn't the right one for you in front of you, right? And to help you find the right people. Right. Well, right. that I agree with right. that. It, it, it's like so. a close, it, 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 it's a, a small community in one respect, uh, but on the same token, it's very open to where, you know what, I may not be the right one, but I know somebody, you know, you ought to call this person or that person or, or whatever. Right. So, the, you know, ICPA was one, AAEI, there's, I mean, uh, BIS, like you said, the, uh, the conferences, um, just a whole host and it, it, developing those relationships. So that's, and, and actually a relationship in this is more than just a consultant uh, client type relationship. It's, it's a little bit more business intimate in that they really need to understand what you're trying to accomplish so that that right. person can give you the appropriate uh, guidance. Um, right, right. Yeah, I think it's really critical to find someone that is willing to spend the time understanding your culture, your organizational culture, your business priorities, right? It's it's not just, oh, we need to get this out the door as soon as possible, or, you know, it's not an ASAP situation. If they want, they really want to understand the whole picture because um, that it's, it's, there are interpretations and, and risk-based decisions to make, right? As you go, go along through an analysis or through certain key decision points. And you wanna make sure that all that's in, in alignment. Okay. Jennifer, um, is there something in particular that you wanna emphasize with, uh, to people that uh, are listening here um, about OFAC or ITAR, the differences or, or anything along that realm? 
Yeah, for sure. There's um, uh, something that, that I think is a really key, a key difference and one that maybe people don't spend enough time on necessarily thinking about right up front is this concept of when are things not subject to the EAR or when are things not subject to the ITAR, right? The, both those sets of regulations have uh, exclusions that are defined up front, right? And um, sometimes folks are very quick to almost over control things within their yeah. organization right. versus spending the time up front to determine is, is what we're trying to do even subject to the regulations, right? And uh, make sure to, to do that homework first before you go down this, this bunny hole of needing to classify and determine licenses, et cetera, right? right? So when you spend that time up front on those exclusions, you, as you go down the layers, right, and read these definitions, uh, one key thing to keep in mind is that those exclusions on the surface can look very similar between the EAR and the ITAR, but it but in fact there are some really important differences. So a, a big one is around technology and, and information and pu published information, right? So under the EAR, it's referred to as published um, is the word that's used. Under the ITAR, it's the phrase public domain. And when you go through those sections in detail, what you discover is um, on the ITAR side, there is an aspect of needing permission to publish versus on the EAR side, you, you don't need permission from them, right? And so that's, a, that's a, a small distinction, yet an important one, because it actually could, you could really trip over yourself, right? And, and, and be in a non-compliant situation kind of by accident if, if you're, if you're used to playing in the EAR world and now you find yourself under the ITAR. Well, um, uh, let, let me throw a scenario at you that I've seen of most recent. I, I actually uh, just had a uh, conversation with some uh, folks and it's a company that's based in the East, a U.S. based company. They have offices in uh, China, in Russia, in Turkey, and... Um, couple other you know several places around the world but in particular I was just sitting thinking I was like you know they have a, a transaction where they're selling to a Chinese company and thinking okay that's fine but yet the end use may be that they're selling to a, a Russian company because of the sanctions and things of that nature mm -hmm. and uh, or or through Turkey or through the and I'm like whoa man that that could be hard to control, but on the same token, it falls right in with what we're talking about here, would it not? For sure. Yeah. I mean, this, this, I mean, I think what you're describing gets to this point of one due diligence of understanding, okay, you're, you're selling to company X, but what is company X doing with the thing you're, you're selling them, right? right? Are they uh, asking those questions, right? Is, it is really as the initial exporter, your responsibility, right? To ask those questions and make sure that there isn't um, an inadvertent re-export, right? That you didn't, you didn't know about because you didn't ask, right? And it's, it's very different in terms of due diligence. If you asked and then, and, and had them sign the right end use certificates, right? And you had the right terms and conditions in your, uh, in your terms of sale and, and things like that, right? And you took those precautionary 
measures from a compliance standpoint, those are two very different outcomes, right? If it came, if it comes to roost later, that right. there was a re-export, right, to Iran, you know, a re-export to some other place that maybe it's not even a sanctioned country, maybe it's just, or to Russia, right? Maybe it's to right. just another country that needed a license, right? Um, and in that scenario, and by asking those questions up front, you're, you're really flushing through, uh, flushing through that to the best of your ability, right, as the original exporter. And to your, going back earlier, what we were talking about is instead of being that lone wolf that may be asking the questions and people are looking at the compliance going, well, you're just a naysayer or, you know, go, go do your compliance thing. We'll let you know if we need you kind of a thing is having right. that advisor board and throwing that out so that it is a group of people. It's not just a, you know, single individual or single department and, um, going through and, you know, uh, having more support, a uh, broad-based support from the company in different areas. Right, right, for sure. I mean, and the, and the more that you're, the more that people in your organization understand, at least at a high level and have that awareness around like what trade compliance even means, right? And the kinds of things that can trigger a need for further analysis, that's really what you want them to understand, right? So you want that, you want that salesperson understanding trade compliance in a manner that is fitting for the, for his or her role, right? So that they know what to watch for and they know who to contact if more analysis is needed. Right. And, and that's really, yeah, and you put, you put that together across different functions. That's how, I think so that's how you win as a group. In looking at it, to recap this uh, of what we've been talking about, what, what do you think are the most important points that we've talked about today? Well, I, I certainly this this point about having a um, having support across the organization for one is is key, right? Not just right. the upper level management, but also representation from all the different functional areas um, that, that intersect with trade compliance, which is is most of them, right? right. <laughs> in reality, definitely um, everything it, it, from engineering to marketing to right. you know uh, manufacturing, product development, sales, um, and then the second important thing I think is if you have familiarity as a company in one body of the regulations, the EAR, for example, or the ITAR, don't automatically translate things that you believe to be true, right? Or your understanding, make sure that you do the homework to understand the new structure, because there are some key differences between the EAR, the ITAR, the OFAC regulations. Um, and then furthermore, within the OFAC regulations, even then it's country specific so you just really want right. to proceed with you know knowledge and awareness that yes i understand this one thing and now i'm going to use that to gain understanding of this next thing and and not to just assume that that the rules are identical and to your point there is that if it's country specific you've got a fundamental foundation of a process where goods are coming in, you're, you're classifying, you're selling them, you're, you're buying them, whatever you're doing, import, export, you've got your basic processes there. But then there needs to be some kind of a bureaucratic mechanism that, okay, now we've got a transaction that's going to be possibly to Iran or, or China or, right. you know, what is that, you know. Uh, right. it's, it's going to a geographic location that, Hey, just 
a flag goes up so that an extra set of eyes are looked at it and say, yeah, we need to look at this or no, it looks like it's okay. Right. And ideally that's happening early on and throughout the process, right? If you think of the life cycle of a commercial product and think of the, the earlier product development stages, right? right. The, the most robust compliance program is going to be asking certain, certain export compliance questions upfront at that stage, right? Where there's just that initial concept of what's this product going to be and who are we trying to sell it to, right? Uh, and if you can start that conversation early, it makes everything else easier. That is so important, and I say it so often. A part, for example, if you're, in a, you're, you're buying, selling, or manufacturing, it doesn't matter. A part does not just happen. It, you know, it's designed. It, it, it takes time to get into the catalog, if you will, and online. It's going through the process of being sourced. It's all, so early on in that discussion, the compliance needs to insert themselves and become part of right. the, the, the assessment uh, team to uh, say, you know, is this going to be worthwhile? Right. Yeah, for sure. And, and even then, it's not, it's not just up front and then at the end, right? There's certain, there's intermediate stages upon which, yeah, there, there ought to be a compliance check in there the same way there are safety checks, right? Or quality checks, you know, they really kind of, they, they all fit together. It fits together with really the natural operations, right? Of, of the life of a product. Um, and, and you can do it efficiently in a way that that doesn't cause heartache right for the business anyway. well and you want to be a compliance person that's not constantly you know no you can't do this or no you this or whatever you want to be somebody right. that's looked at as a resource because when you need to um really take a stand and go all right we've got a problem if you've done that too many times you're going to be like that guard dog with no teeth you don't have any way to bite them i mean it's like hey wait a minute you need to stop here and say let's look at this and and see what we need to do and have credibility with it well jennifer we've gotten quite a bit of great information on your end and uh maybe in a minute or less what is your best trait tip or hack that you might have, whether it's, you know, sure. kind of related to this. I don't know if you might have something that, uh, you know, have a trait, a nice little gem there for us. Sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so from an, from an export control standpoint, right, whether you look at, well, really, if you, uh, I'm, I'm more, my mind is more on the EAR and the ITAR, is when you're combing through those regulations and finding that nugget of what you need, right, the the definitions of words and terms really matters. And that's something that I see people trip over all the time, right? They see a word and they apply the dictionary definition or whatever definition they think applies, right? And they can end up under controlling something or over controlling it. (laughs) And so if in the EAR, especially if a word is in double quotes or in single quotes, (laughs) it's defined, it's either defined in that main you know, definition section, or it's defined in maybe that ECCN entry, but guaranteed it's defined, BIS has defined it for you somewhere. And it behooves you to actually read that definition and make sure that what you're doing meets what they are calling, you know, whatever that word is, and and make sure that you're not over, you know, over interpreting it. Sure. Um, So that's my best practice tip is look up the definition. Excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Well, thank sure. you so much. I mean, this is great. Um, Andy, um, we got some nice information here, you know. And so, Jennifer, just so you know, 
And uh, actually, just for the, our, our audience, um, we will have your contact information on the show notes. And uh, when we do post this on um, uh, the actual video, um, the, you know, we'll have ways of people getting in touch with you so that they can, uh, you know, maybe ask you more questions or whatever, you know, just hire you if they need to on, on such uh, complicated matters like this. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important links. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situations. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.